Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Well, we made it through the Memorial Day weekend. Now we are knee-deep into summer. Bring on the Africa hot heat. No, please don't do that. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am your host, Brian Pointer. So thrilled to be with you each and every Saturday here. If you've stumbled across us, join us for this little party we call Indiana Outdoors. We're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network. Driven to SaveLives.org. And it's the number two. You can sign up to be an organ and tissue donor and help a lot of folks uh, just when you buy your hunting and fishing license. we got a big show. One of my favorite people, Gene Hopkins, who's president of the Indiana Sportsman's Roundtable. We're going to be talking about traditional archery and some of his historic collection and his message that he has been sharing with other folks as he's been traveling around. Great Hoosier, great advocate for archery. Brent Wheat, editor of Guns Magazine, the largest newsstand magazine dedicated to guns he is going to talk to us about his latest travels you never know he's all over the place he was at a gun site by the way i know that because we talked to ken campbell a couple weekends ago uh, the owner of gun site academy and we're going to be talking about what's new and on the upcoming docket for guns magazine and adam phelps there's a name we haven't talked to in a minute but adam phelps is the wildlife uh, migratory biologist migratory bird biologist the dates have been set for waterfowl season how are they set why are they set is a complex matrix, as we will learn a little bit later, because we've asked this question of Matt many, many times, and he is going to join us talking about all of the upcoming waterfowl stuff. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am your host, Gene Hopkins, awaits us. It is my pleasure to be here this post-Memorial Day weekend. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. Cannot believe we are, gosh, we are just sailing through the year here in uh, beautiful Indiana. It's almost mid-year, and with that, so many great opportunities to be outside. We, we talk about that each and every week. Of course, we're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. And uh, we had got it through the, the race weekend and all the great activities, and now we're just kind of settling in. Most of the kids are out of school. Graduations are over. A lot of graduation parties. But uh, we're here to talk about some other fun stuff. And as I mentioned at the top of the hour, Gene Hopkins, who is president of the Indiana Sportsman's Roundtable, is going to join us here. Gene, it's been great to visit with you over the years. How you been? 
I've been great. How are you been, Brian? Well, it's a little sigh of relief that the uh, circus called this legislature is over. And I know yeah. that there's been a few things that that uh, have been on the radar screen. I know our Department of Natural Resources was watching a lot of different things, many of which don't necessarily get above the fold uh, news, which is good, but a lot of things happening. And I know that you said there's not a lot really to report on, but uh, your commentary just on a big, broad level before we go to some fun stuff. Well, I think, you know, the the discussion this past session, a lot of it was around budget. Uh, DNR budget, not just fish and wildlife budgets, but all of DNR. And, uh, you know, there was good news, bad news. It seemed like day to day things would go from a high to a low. And, you know, we got some money. They're taking the money out, you know, the normal legislative process. And uh, in the end, I'd say overall the budget was okay. It wasn't as good as we optimistically hoped for. But, uh, you know, in in the end, I think the legislature did okay on the budget. Um, Now, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that, you know, a lot of things came out that were good. And as with everything, it's kind of a mixed bag and we'll let it unfold. There wasn't anything of major consequence. I've been following you, though, around the country as we have talked about. And this is what I rather talk about because it's always fun and good with you. You're one of the foremost uh, collectors of uh, archery history your knowledge your expertise on on traditional archery equipment is and you've amassed a collection that is recognized around the country and we've done some shows talking about this and i saw that you were recently out east addressing a large group and made your travel so i'd rather talk about that because that's more fun what'd you do where'd you go let's talk talk about that i went to new york bow hunters this past weekend up in the catskills Um, i was invited to come out there and what you know you think of new york you think of new york city but you get into new york what a beautiful state the catskills and the adirondacks it's just gorgeous it is i haven't spent a lot of time there opportunities there wow so what did you do i know you were as i said it's it's great that you live here in indiana and you've been such a regular guest and an active participant in conservation hunting and fishing issues but your real vocation i think is traditional archery and history and we talked about your visits and your relationship with fred bear and others in your own history of how you got involved in this but why'd you end up in the catskills well, I was invited to come out by the New York Bowhunters, and uh, what I've been doing over the last few years is I've created a program I call Keeping the Spirit Alive. And when I go around to the different states, uh, different national organizations, and I do presentations, it's it's all about that. You know, we take for granted today that bowhunting's already, or always been around and it will always be around. We take for granted today our whitetail populations, our elk populations, our black bear populations, but it wasn't always that way. And there was a whole generation or two of, of people that came before us that really did a wonderful, fantastic job. And it took decades for them to get archery introduced as a legal uh, hunting method. And it took decades for them to build our wildlife populations to where they are today. And we take that for granted. So keeping the spirit alive is two pieces. There's one piece of it looking backward, and there's one piece of it looking forward. Looking back and giving credit and recognition and honoring all those people who did what they did for us, uh, keeping their names and keeping their achievements alive. And then there's the looking forward part of it, 
And that's the value of history. If you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat history. We don't want to go back to where those people had to start in the early 1900s when we had no white-tailed deer. We had no wild turkey. Um, And we need to understand what they did and why they did it and how they did it so we can preserve and protect those sports for our kids and our grandkids. Gene Hopkins is our guest. Boy, let's hover here for a second because there's a lot that you said. You know, dating back to the early 20th century, the earliest of the 20th century dates when Teddy Roosevelt created this American conservation model, which is unique in the world, which we've spent dozens of shows talking about. It is the reason that in this year, 2023, we have bears on the New Jersey Turnpike, which is why we have Canada geese on every golf course, why you have deer eating your flower beds in everybody's backyards, and all the other things with clean water and restoration and conservation. It is unique in the world because in Europe, they don't have this. They don't have the same system for access and public use like we do here. So it goes way back, but then... Even like you said, two generations ago, when my dad started hunting in the 50s, uh, there were no deer. There wasn't a deer season here. We've, we've talked recently about how the turkey season got started, how turkeys were reintroduced, I should say, into Indiana. It's a great story. One of our good friends, and you know him, Jack Spaulding, did a great story on how turkeys were reintroduced here in the state of Indiana, and it's not how you would think, so we can talk about that later. But these things on, on Indian Outdoors we've covered recently with – the Peregrine Falcons, we talked about the banding program that takes place and all the science and research that goes into it. The otters, and now there's a trapping season for otters because they're so healthy. Uh, we've talked about all the bald eagles recently, a great show on bald eagles. And when I was younger in my career here at Indiana Outdoors, went up in a helicopter with, at that time, the non-game bird biologist, John Castrali, where they physically counted the number of eagle eggs that were in the nest that we knew about, and then went back and counted the chicks. Now there's over 300, almost approaching 400 known nesting pairs, over 500 known eagle nests in the state of Indiana. To your point, this is all because of man's intervention. It's all because of conservationist intervention. And, you know, what I want to draw attention to is who are the conservationists in our country? It's the hunters and the fishermen and the trappers. That's who brought this back. That's who did this. That's who funded this. That's who put the emphasis on this and and demanded that uh, our our political leaders give attention to wildlife populations, give attention to habitat. If it had not been for the conservationists, if it had not been for the hunters, fishermen and trappers, that would not have happened. Absolutely. Cannot overemphasize what you just said. I don't know of many organizations or groups of people, let's collectively call them outdoor people, enthusiasts, hunters, fishers, conservationists, who self-impose a tax that goes directly to fund all of the conservation. I mean, buying a hunting and fishing license is the best conservation dollar you can possibly have in place, whether you want to hunt or fish, because that money gets leveraged through grants, matching funds, federal dollars, three, four times over, and goes directly to all the restoration programs in our state and how our budget, speaking of bringing it back to what you started with, that's how the Division of Fish and Wildlife is funded. If people aren't buying hunting and fishing licenses, we're screwed. Well, never in the history of man, before or since, has a group gone to the legislatures and asked to be taxed. 
and we went and we did that. And Dingle Johnson, Pittman Robertson, we asked to be taxed so that that money could be used to bring back wildlife, so that we could do the reintroduction, so that we could build the habitat, so that we could pay for the biologists and the conservation officers. And, you know, we as sportsmen need to tell that story. And Boy, I couldn't agree with you more. Even if, even if you're not a hunter or fisherman or a trapper, why are you not buying a license? You know, that's a very good point, which we've emphasized here. And I, I have people all the time say, oh, who should I donate to? And I said, why don't you just go buy a hunting and fishing license? Because that is the best use. Now, I'm not certainly saying don't send money to your organizations that you feel passionately about. And there's a lot of great ones out there. The deer, the ducks, the turkeys, the wildlife federations, the uh, all sorts of them that do great work in, in, in Indiana and beyond. Uh, they all need and they're all doing uh, uh, the work of conservation, but to your point, that is the best use of our hunting and fishing uh, conservation dollars. And boy, we could spend hours talking about the work that has benefited those like you and me, and in the future, my kids and your grandkids, who have unprecedented access and opportunities, not only in Indiana but other places. So, when you went out to the Catskills, what was your message? And upon invitation, what did you tell them? Well, I, I, exactly what we just talked about. I said, you know, we've got to remember that what we have today was given to us because of the efforts of those who came before us. And so now it's our generation's turn to pay it forward. And we, looking around the audience here tonight, there's a lot of young people in the room today. Yeah. And will they look back on us and will, will they say thank you? Or will they look back on us and say, why did you do that? Why did you not let, you know, why did you not keep it move keep it healthy for us and um that the message you know when you go to a, an event like that you've got a lot of serious bull hunters in the room but you also got some spouses in the room that may not have hunted or fished before and they may not really understand and that's you know after the after the presentations that's what i really like is when the spouse comes up to me and says thanks that's something that i didn't know and i now understand why my husband or why my wife does what he does and why he loves it and why he's so passionate about it but i also understand the good that he does and the so, important work but, speaking of which yeah. we've already we've talked about turkeys there were no turkeys here in my memory recent memory there was no hunting in, of turkeys in the state of indiana when i started they had been reintroduced but my gosh we've had a record year it's going to crush previous harvests and i know you were a party to that you traveled around what did you experience this hunting season turkey season you know here in indiana um i went into the season thinking i wonder what it's going to be like um but then you know last year I, i remembered last year in the woods and remember we had the cicada hatch and remember how many bugs there were in the fields. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I predict, I'd forgotten, but now, I, you know, when, when I get to the woods this year, I remembered that I think there's going to be a heck of a, a, a two-year-old population in 2023 because of the cicadas. And it's true. And that's I think that's what happened. So, when, you know, this year, my experience, there were a lot of turkeys in the field. We, I just pulled it up this morning, we have now reported a harvest of 16,648 birds for 2023 here in Indiana. Stunning. The year before, it was only 12,500. So we're up 35% over last year's harvest. 
And I think a lot of that probably has to do with such a healthy population of two-year-olds because those two-year-olds had a lot to eat last year. Yeah, they sure did. And, you know, turkey season is a weird... It's a weird dynamic, you know. You're you're kind of turning nature on itself, and you've got turkeys out there doing what they naturally do. But as the hunter, you're you're mimicking the the opposite of what they're used to, and it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. I think everybody should go out into the turkey spring woods. But they were fat and sassy and happy. But because it's so weird, weather can be a big difference, a differentiator in the turkey season. It could be ninety or it could be twenty. It could be snowing. It could be raining. We had a great season during our turkey season we had a mild winter so it was like the perfect opportunity for the birds to proliferate and that only gets better and i saw some big turkeys taken this year and a lot of folks if you went out in the turkey woods this year it's kind of like when you're in the deer season it's commonplace hey did you get your deer and that's taken for granted just you're going to kill a deer well that we can talk about that another time too but People now are going into the turkey woods where you once had a 20% chance, 25% ratio. People are in the woods now talking about, yeah, I saw birds all over the place. So I like to see that continue. In the southern part of the state where I'm at, we had a really healthy population. It was a good year. Um, You know, I'm a a serious turkey hunter. I love to turkey hunt. I travel a lot to turkey hunt. And a lot of people ask me, you know, what do you, what can you tell me about turkey hunting that, uh, I need to know. And the one thing I tell people is that uh, too many people give up after the first weekend. I personally like the late season as much as I do the early season. When a lot of people have given up already, the birds aren't gobbling as much. That's true. But if you do get one to gobble in the late season, he's probably pretty serious about <laughs> coming in. And the, you know, the other thing, you're just going to have confidence. You know, the turkey are there. Whether they're gobbling or not, they're still there. So get out there and get in the yep. woods and, and, you know, maybe not call as much, but let them know you're there. Gene, I can't. And just be patient. You are the best at what you do. We appreciate it. Thanks for all your wisdom and sharing the message that you did, not only to your in your travels, but here in Indiana Outdoors. We look forward to having you back again real soon. And thanks for being a part of Indiana Outdoors. You're welcome, Brian. My pleasure. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I, your host, Brian Pointer, We're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to savelives.org. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be back right after this. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I, your host, Brian Pointer, so great to visit with you. Be a part of Indiana Outdoors. Thank these stations that carry us. They do have a choice, and we appreciate it after all these two decades and a half of Indiana Outdoors. Couldn't be possible without the great content of our contributors who we've come to rely upon, like Brent Wheat, the editor of Guns Magazine, as you heard me say at the top of the hour. It's one of my thrills to catch up with him and find out what's happening high atop his throne of the gun industry. Brent, how you been? I've been glorious and on the road. Yeah, as your chariot uh, shined up and all your minions being <laughs> catered to you, the, your satisfaction? No, yeah, but it's more like dirty laundry everywhere and suitcases sitting and bags packing. And, you know, not that I'm complaining. I'm, I'm blessed that I get to travel. But anybody that travels for business knows that 
Sometimes you wish you weren't on the road. <laughs> I understand. And speaking of being on the road, we had Ken Campbell, who's the uh, president and uh, of Gun Sight Academy out in Arizona. I understand you were out there recently making another trip out there, which makes me jealous because <laughs> I'm going to make this is the year it's going to happen for me. But uh, it was great to visit with him and. I uh, just wanted to find out from you what's been going on in the in the gun world and what you're thinking and talking about with your peers and colleagues. Oh, it's uh, it's crazy time, and everybody's you know uh, a lot of guns and product coming out, but we're not sure about the political situation. And uh, demand has fallen off, not because fewer people are wanting guns, but everybody bought guns during the great pandemic scare. So now the the numbers are down. So a lot of uh, folks are trying to figure out, you know, where are we on the trend line? Is it really a downturn? And it's there's a lot of confusion going on. But uh, Gunsight is is really kicking booty. They uh, I was just out there, like you said, and they've got new classrooms, they got new offices, they got new instructor quarters. So I'm going to call you out, Brian. You, you've told me for the last couple of years I you're going to go out there, and I'm going to hold you to it. Well, I was, but as you know, uh, you and I have both been in this situation. I was a sneeze away from a complete structural break down with joints so uh now that i got this hip replaced i am uh going to get back in the business of doing some of the things (laughs) that frankly sadly i had checked off my list saying that's never going to be possible so i'm hoping that within a month or so here i'm going to be back to my fighting spirit and ken was gracious and he's he too said he's going to hold me to the promise so i don't think that's going to be hard (laughs) for me to fulfill let's talk about this Oh, go ahead. Let's talk about, um, you know, the the training is one thing, but man, it's for all levels. It's not just for the newbie. He talked about this course where you, you know, it's, I forget what he called it, but basically you bring your boxed gun and it takes you from out of the box to the range. Yep, absolutely. And and literally they train, and Ken, I'm stealing Ken's line, so he probably already used this. They train the little old lady who's a door greeter at Walmart up to guys that, when they do the class picture, they'll put bags over their heads or blur it out, including some people that I don't work for the government. You can't prove I was ever here because there are people like that, and they do some really interesting things, and that's where they train. So, And then there's people other- like you that deserves a bag over their head but doesn't have any government responsibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just a tourist. But, no, it, it – it is truly, I, I am a complete fanboy, I'll admit that, but uh, I've been blessed to go to pretty much every kind of training from everybody you've probably heard of, and I was also a police officer for 30 years, so I've, I've got a little experience, but when you go through the gates at Gunsight and you start getting their instruction from people that are just incredible, been there, done that kind of folks, and it's not, you know, you're, you're they're making you do push-ups and run and all that stuff. They will, no matter how good you are or think you are, they will push you and you will be so much better and it will change your outlook about the way you live your life just in terms of personal safety and personal defense. So um, I, I'm a huge fan, but uh, it, they will deliver. So Brent Weed is our guest, editor of Guns Magazine. You talk about the confusion. There's so much legislation. We're under attack, and I mean that literally, from the onslaught of the, the corrupt media, the mismessaging of of those that disagree with the second amendment and it's almost an, a 24-hour day onslaught of the second amendment and it drives me and every gun owner crazy but how do you sort through this mess of what we're dealing with and the mixed messages oh. and these rules and stuff 
It, it, you're right. I mean, this is probably one of the most confusing times uh, that I can ever remember because now you can factor in, too, just the, the misinformation campaigns. We I've heard it said we live in a post-fact society, and we do now. Um, what you you know if if we can all agree white is white black is black now people just don't have a problem saying black is purple and if you don't agree with that then you know uh shame on you and so the facts don't even matter anymore it's just a distortion and what feels good to certain folks and the fact that uh the democrats are holding a lot of political power nationally uh, is not a good thing then you throw in their their compatriots in the mass media, most of whom have a uh, uh, either overt or covert uh, dislike of the Second Amendment. And I, I can't say it enough. Gun owners have to get active. If if things continue the way they're going, we're going to lose simply by sitting on our hands. And that means every single person, I don't care if you just go duck hunting once a year or you got Pappy's old shotgun to go rabbit hunting, if you're not politically active and letting your voice be heard, today is going to seem like the good old days. Well, you're complicit. Let's just leave it like that. Exactly. What, are, what are some of the things coming off the newsstand at Guns Magazine? Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> it's it's always such a uh, – you, you always ask me that, and you would think that every time we talk, I should go back and look at what we got. It's, it's funny because – and you're this way, I'm sure, Brian. People say, hey, that was a great show two weeks ago, and you're like, I don't have the first remembrance. <laughs> if it wasn't posted somewhere, I'd have to go back and have to look myself. I don't know. <laughs> Exactly, because you know you're you're so busy, and then once you get something published or sent off, then you got to charge forward. But now we've got uh, uh, some. We got a single action uh, Freedom Arms on the cover coming up, and we've got oh, let's see, the Smith and Wesson Five Seven is going to be coming up, and oh golly, without without looking back. The cool thing about guns, and I think I've said this before, is I get to look and touch and talk about every kind of gun, not just the, the cool black guns or or whatever. It's, it's everything right. from lever actions, single actions, shotguns. We do it all, and there's something for everybody in guns. Well, let's talk about your podcast, because I know that's something you're passionate about and wildly successful. That's taken off guns a-blazing. See what I did there? I did it. I went there. <laughs> what, what have you been talking about? What are some of the favorite things that you remember of the last few weeks, months? What's coming up? Oh, goodness. Um, we've, uh, we've had some good talk about... Uh, Everything from pistol defense. Uh, one of our my close friends is Eric Gellhouse, the, Ameri- the uh, editor of AmericanCop.com, and he's a gunsight instructor. And uh, he is the guru when it comes to red dot optics. And I have become a convert uh, to that. And it's, it's more challenging for guys that have been shooting. You don't just pick it up and start using it. But I'm telling you, for, for older people like us, um, the optic is the way to go. Boy, I'm going to have to I'm watch that because I'm with you. I, I'm ignorant, so you're, I'm, I'm your audience, dude. I'm the guy that wants to know, <laughs> so I appreciate you doing that. Hey, I hate to do this. we got to run. I appreciate you as always. Brent Wheat, the editor of Guns Magazine, the oldest, largest news story or news magazine devoted to guns here in Indiana, award-winning outdoor writer. Hey, did you win anything at the Hoosier Outdoor Writers Contest? For the first time in decades, I didn't put any money in. I just ran the raffle. All right. There you go. Anyway, be good, my friend. Thanks for being a part of it. Best of luck. We'll talk to you again later this summer. 
Thanks, Brian. My pleasure. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. Great to visit with Brent, one of my favorites. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I, your host, Brian Pointer, brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. We're on a roll here, so stick with us. We're going to be back right after this. Indian Outdoors rolls on. I am your host, Brian Pointer. We couldn't do the show without our good friends at Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives. Sign up to be an organ and tissue donor when you buy your hunting and fishing license or go to the website. It's easy. There's no medical screening, and you can help save up to eight lives and get this heal up to 75 others with that donation. And we've had a great show. I always appreciate uh, the likes of Gene Hopkins and Brent Wheat, editor of Guns Magazine, but recently saw that the wildlife or the wildlife, the waterfowl dates for this fall have been set. Joining me is Adam Phelps, our uh, state biologist, our duck biologist here in the state. How you been? It's been a while. I've uh, been well. Yourself? You've probably been doing nothing, just sitting around, you know, these these seasons come out and then you're kind of done for the year, right? That's right, yeah. we. Uh, I, I, I basically work six weeks a year. Yeah, I figured, as, I figured as much. And I know that's a complete and utter lie. You have a very difficult job. The dates are out and published and people can find them on the DNR website and just Google it. But I ask this question every year because I think people need to know this. It is a moving formula, but what is the process to come up with how dates are set in the state of Indiana and in the Midwest? They're a migratory bird, so it's complex, but how does that work? So the Fish and Wildlife Service has jurisdiction. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has jurisdiction over hunting seasons for migratory birds, which in Indiana is every bird we hunt except for the chicken-like birds, like turkeys and grouse and quail. The so, chicken-like birds, I love that. That's the that's the descriptor for their family. So, um, waterfowl, of course, fall into that category. So, the season isn't open until the feds open it. And so, each year we go through this process of looking at um, population estimates and habitat conditions in Canada and the North Central U.S. Um, use that through a very specific, complex mathematical process that optimizes the season based on the seasons we've had in the past and the seasons we expect to have in the future and those population statuses to tell us what the optimal season is um, for us in a given year. And so since that season process has been put in place, we've been in a liberal season. That's been since the mid-1990s. The liberal season in the Mississippi Flyway that we're in is a 60-day duck season um, with six birds in the bag. Now, as you know, the bags change year to year depending on the species involved. Um, we haven't had many changes in the last few years in the bag limits, though. Which with, is- uh, within the state, um, each year I compare um, how waterfowl is counted on our properties. Um, our, our properties count ducks and geese, August through January. Some of them count through April, so we get a feel for uh, springtime migration as well. Um, I look at those numbers over three-year averages, and I compare them to what the hunters tell me they want. When the hunters tell me they want to hunt on our waterfowl hunter surveys, which go out every three years, so I overlay 
when we see ducks versus uh, overlay that over when the hunters say they want to hunt and we try to find the most overlap between those two data sets to set the seasons um, in Indiana. Adam Phelps is our guest, state wildlife uh, biologist here, working with ducks and migratory birds. And I know it's complex, and it's just like deer hunting. You've asked 10 waterfowl hunters their opinions. you got 10 different answers. That's a very difficult job to manage what they, quote, want. And then it's always Mother Nature who rules the day, right? You never know what the weather conditions are going to be and when snows push the the birds south, et cetera, and all this great scientific data but it's 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 a scientific wild ass guess a lot of times based on good science and i think your description should help a lot of hunters understand it's not just throwing a dart at a, at a calendar right right so especially here in the mid-latitude states right like iowa indiana illinois ohio um we are truly dependent on weather to get birds and also to keep birds from moving on. So the deep south, you know, they get the birds, they stay there all winter. The the northern states know when they leave, you know, they leave with the first good snowfall for the most part. But us in the middle, we're really dependent on that weather to see how long we get birds. So um, that's why when we count birds on our properties, I don't use any given year. Any one year is going to be weird. So we use three or five year averages to try to even out some of that variability between years to try to get the most likely time when birds are going to be here in a given year. And then, of course, Mother Nature, again, always perfect because, you know, we've heard a lot about the prairie potholes where a lot of these birds will breed and winter in the upper plains and into Canada. And we've heard drought and we've heard all kinds of other things. Mother Nature, in her glory, you know, these birds will go into the burial forest of Canada. They'll move other places. But we've had some of those stresses. What is the general condition of the nesting grounds, and what do you predict for this year? Well, I mean, as we just discussed, uh, we are at the mercy of primarily cold fronts, right? So it's really difficult to predict anything for a mid-latitude state because it's just dependent on when those fronts come and how strong they are. Um, we, you know, those surveys for the, the feds uh, fly in Canada and the prairies are going on. They're wrapping up right now. So I have not actually heard what yeah. the conditions are here. Um, we'll get that information in July at the flyway meetings or, or early August. Um, so I haven't I haven't actually seen any habitat predictions yet. I know that talking to some of my colleagues in that part of the country, especially in the Dakotas, they did get some um, more precipitation over the winter, and they went into the spring with better conditions than maybe we Perfect. could have expected based on how dry it was going into the fall. So hopefully um, we had good brood rearing conditions in the prairies. Adam, I can't thank you for your expertise, your contribution to Indiana Outdoors. Best of luck to you. I'm sure we'll be back with you uh, as we get a little further into the year. But thanks for all you do, and thanks for being a part of Indiana Outdoors. You bet. Glad to do it. My pleasure. Adam Phelps, migratory wildlife biologist. Great to visit with him. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I, your host, Brian Pointer, brought to you by Indiana Donor Network. Back right after this. Sit back down in my seat. Time to talk. The lights are going off. Producers are yelling at me. 
And I comply, as always. I want to keep those folks happy. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. Thank you so much for being with us. And it's hard to believe that we're already turning into the month of June here, uh, roaring through this year. And so many great things. Uh, we could just, I wish we had more time. I say that all the time, but can't thank Gene Hopkins enough. What a great advocate for conservation. He is, of course, head of the Sportsman's Roundtable. We didn't have a lot to talk about, which is a good thing, but I do enjoy his advocacy for conservation and the stewardship of passing things along. He was recently out in the Catskills invited by the New York Archery Association to come out there and give a talk and had some great travels. He's just one of my favorite people and great advocate. Brent Wheat, always fun to visit with him. Editor of Guns Magazine, one of the hardest working guys, and we appreciate his conversation. And he spoke very honestly. If it's up to us, you got to get involved. If you are, if you claim you're a two A supporter, boy, get involved because we are under attack, all of us. And it is every day I look at stuff in the news and just scratch my head and go, they couldn't get any dumber. But they do. And the insane lies and propaganda and mischaracterizations, it's up to us to make sure that doesn't happen anymore. Adam Phelps, it's really complex. He's the wildlife uh, migratory bird biologist here in the state of Indiana. How these migratory seasons are set in cooperation with the federal government of course they have jurisdiction as he reminded us but it's a science and that's why we have great smart people like adam and all the biologists who really do take into consideration hunter needs as well as the science and you heard the the complex geometric scientific whatever you want to call it. it's too complicated for me but that's why we have guys like adam great to be with us remember folks turn into poacher 1-800-TIP-I-D-N-R i look forward to being with you again next week and stay safe enjoy this beautiful early summer see you outside everybody mm-hmm.